Hi, my name is David Siegler and welcome to my podcast. Hi, property sourcing profiteers, anybody out there in property sourcing land, sourcing deals for profit, working with investors, this is the podcast for you and I'm super, super excited. This is how I look when I'm super excited. I know it's audio, you can't see it. Okay. I'm really thrilled to have with me today to share with you everything HMO, Houses of Multiple Occupation, one of the foremost experts in the field. Why didn't I say the foremost expert in the field, Jamie? What do you think? Well, maybe after the half an hour, you might say it. I will. We'll see. We'll yeah. prove yourself first. Okay. The foremost expert in the field of HMOs, the wonderful Jamie Medill. Yay! Hi, everyone. Great to have you here. Thank you for joining this podcast. I'm really pleased and uh, grateful for David to having a chat. Jamie, thank you for finding me a few minutes. This this is really, really cool. So I'm going to have deal packaging friends out there who are looking at increasing their fees, Mm -hmm. uh, serving their investors with higher yields, maybe where they work single lets. In fact, I think at the moment, most of the United Kingdom, single let yields are challenging. Yep. I'm finding six, six and a half, seven percent pretty common wherever you are working in the UK. So if we want to ramp that up, the temptation is to get involved in packaging HMOs. And I know you, you've got great experience in yep, that as well. Absolutely. That's right. So we are with the man team. We are. Um, for somebody looking to package their first HMO, fraught with danger, Jamie, what would you look at first? What would you consider first if you were thinking of going down that road? What would you worry about? What are the what are the advantages? What are the upsides, downsides? Sure. I'll tell it all as it is. So the most important thing is I always talk to people who ask me questions about uh, property investing, let alone HMO. What is your end goal? So what's your end goal? So start with the end in mind. So from a HMO point of view, um, I like to maximize my rental income from every single property. So when I first started buying single let properties back in the mid 2000s, I'd make a couple hundred pounds a month income. And with HMOs, of course, you can get maybe seven, eight times that income, especially now. And of course, you are diversifying the risk because you're renting out individual rooms. So not only can you charge a decent amount of money per room if you do it the right way, but obviously you can um, scale up and maximize the income from every single property. So some of the risks, if you don't know what you're doing, it's a risk. Uh, everything in property is, I think, increasingly becoming more regulated. It doesn't matter if it's HMO strategies or anything else. There are more rules and regulations out there, and it's all about providing good, quality, safe housing. So the first tip is absolutely know what your local rules and regulations are. How do you find it? Go onto the council website, type in HMO, and they'll they'll tell you in your area what the rules and regulations are. That's the first thing. The second thing- Can I I ask you something about that? Sure. Because, so this is great advice. So people say, speak to your HMO team. Yeah. So in some local authorities, they will actually speak to you. They Mm -hmm. will. But in some, they won't. Right. So- you just scour the pages because local authority websites, in my experience, Jamie, can be a rather opaque and, and yeah. a weird world. How do you make sure you know the difference between a shared room and an ensuite room and a room with shared facilities and a room with some facilities, but maybe not? And all of that stuff and the sure. different rates. Okay, and, let's and keep it size. really, 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 really simple. Yeah. From the 1st of October last year, 2018, uh, the rules changed with HMOs and the regulations, and it was to have a level playing field all across the UK, which meant that the minimum room sizes for an HMO room, a shared house, is 6.52 square metres. 
That's all you've got to know. So when it comes to packaging deals, which I guess we'll, we'll come to shortly, you've got to look at any property which has that sort of size room as a minimum. Irrespective if it's ensuite or not, the bedroom space has to be 6.52 square meters. Cool. Most typically are larger. So that's the key thing you've got to know with HMOs. And if you're looking for the information on your website and you can't find it on the council website, that's what you need to know. If it's double occupancy, two people sharing a room, it's more than that. It's over 10 and a half square meters. But single occupancy, you've got to just think about the room size, 6.52 square meters. Fab. Okay. And talk to your HMO team and scour the website of your local authority is the best way to find out exactly what the criteria are in your area. So let's start right at the beginning for deal packages because these are not HMO people necessarily, Jeremy. So the legal definition of a HMO and then there is confusion between the licensing criteria of an HMO and then Article 4, what's that about, right? Um, Could you guide us through that? Yeah, absolutely. It's it it can be a mindful if you know what you're talking about. So here are couple here are the sort of nuts and bolts of what you need to know. First things first. What's an HMO? It's a house of multiple occupancy. Some people call it multi-let shared accommodation. It's the same thing. And the definition is three or more unrelated people sharing common facilities. Those are typically a kitchen and a bathroom. So if you want to have an HMO or you want to look for a property to package up and sell as an HMO, make sure you've got common facilities. A kitchen, for example, is a common cooking facility. Do not put cooking facilities into the bedroom space that you're renting out. If you do that, it might be classified as a one-bedroom flat, and then you might be charged council tax by the room and your local council. Mm -hmm. So the best way of avoiding that, don't provide cooking facilities. There's got to be shared common facilities. Uh, so typically kitchen and bathroom. That's the key thing. Um, with regards to licensing, again, sounds terrifying, but actually I, I have two HMO portfolios. One's a rent-to-rent HMO portfolio in Bedford and one's up in Coventry where we buy for ourselves and we sell package deals to clients. In Bedford, every single rental property now has to have a license, whether it's a one-bedroom f- uh, flat or three-bedroom house renting out to a family or an HMO. They all need licensing, so don't worry about it. Just, again, go onto your council website and check licensing in the search bar. There's two key licenses you've got to think of. One is mandatory licensing. It's when it's five or more people sharing a house. One is additional licensing, which is less than five people sharing a house. But some councils, and you can find this on your local council website, might require your one-bedroom flat to have an additional license because it's less than five or more people sharing. That's all you've got to think about when it comes to licensing. There are some specific requirements about fire safety, fire doors, fire alarms. And again, I'm more than happy to go into that. But the key thing is don't overcomplicate licensing. You either need it as a mandatory license if it's five or more people sharing, or it's going to be typically additional if it's less than five. And you might even need it on a one-bedroom flat in your wow. area. So I've learned something. Cool. I've learned something here because in Peterborough, you know, I am currently working with Progressive Let Sourcing and we source yeah. properties to convert to HMOs. So in Peterborough, the local authority insists that three or more individual people, not only is that the legal definition of HMO, I completely accept mm-hmm. that, but the council requires a license yeah. for three or more. But I didn't realise that, that wasn't um, there was a difference between mandatory licensing and... Additional. Additional. Thank yeah. you. So... But, what I've shared with you is the national standards. Yes. Always go to your council website and check if there's any local variations. Yes. 
The other thing I bump into, Jamie, uh, and I'm looking for your input on this, yeah. is the 6.52 minimum room thing. Yeah. Again, some local authorities, which I hear from ideal packages, yep. they come back to me and say, 6.52, David, what are you talking about? Because in my local authorities, we've got to have eight square meters, we've got to have 10 yep. square meters, right? Just Again, it's the national standards. Yep. The national standards were brought in last year to bring everyone up to an even sort of playing field, but some councils ask for bigger space. So, for example, in some areas like South End, they ask for 10 square metres, yes, which is massively that. more than the minimum size, which is the national level. So, again, I'll give you all the national stuff, and then you've got to check your local council rules and regs. Okay, so if you're working in a local authority that's got a 10 square metre rule as a packager, yep. so we're, we're all over the floor plans here. Yep. That's, that's the most important thing. So, do packaging peeps if you're out there and you're going to view properties with regard to turning them into HMOs, right, the floor plan's where you start. The corollary of this is it's, it gets quite restrictive because 10 square metres is quite big mm. and there's always an awkward room. Yep. You, you've come across it. Yep. How, how do you manage this? Okay, so from a packaging point of view, and you're the expert, I'm not. I've been doing packaging for a while, but when I used to sell single-let packages back in 2011, 2012, yeah. I was buying a little single-let house, didn't really matter, and sell it for a fee. And people are buying generally the rental income. In my experience to date, when I'm selling HMOs as a package to other investors, they're buying not only the rental income, the results of their investment in that property, but also if you can increase the equity value of that property. Right. So this is, makes a big difference when it comes to those small rooms because there's always going to be a small room. Some of the three-bedroom houses I buy up in Coventry to convert to a five-bed, five-en-suite HMO will always have a tiny box room which you can't use. Yes. Unless you knock down the walls and make it bigger. And that's what we do. Wow. <laughs> and it's not, again, as scary as it appears okay. on first instance. Again, from a packaging point of view, when you're going out to investors, they want to buy the result from you. It doesn't matter, in my opinion, what the value of the property is now when it comes to buying it at market value for an HMO. It's what it will be at the end. Okay, Does that make so sense? It, oh, it does, Jamie. And this is gold, right? Because you're you're opening all sorts of loops here, and I, I want to cover all of them in the time that we've got. And so, value at the end, knocking down walls. Let's talk about knocking down walls. Okay, okay. I walk that walk. You know, because yeah. we've had this conversation. When in my early HMO sourcing days, iteration one and two, I I dragged my investors through <laughs> a, a lot of pain, right? And uh, they're still talking to me and smiling. So you know, we, we kind <laughs> of got there in the end. Result. But there was delay and there was a mess, right? So building teams, this is what I found were absolutely crucial to my success, getting the right builders. Yeah. So, Jamie, how do you how do you get the right builders? So as a packager, we will be adding on a building team to move our fee up, Yep. right? We've got a pre-packaged deal here. We're adding our contacts yep. for the investor to use, right? We're not, we're not involved in this, but we're introducing them. How do you make sure you've got the right builder, Jamie? Because this... This was so important to my packaging business. Yeah, no, I get that completely. So where we operate in Bedford, we've now got two building teams, but we've had more in the past because some builders aren't very good. Mm. And you learn that with a bit of trial and error. So when you're just starting out, the first thing I recommend you do is ask for recommendations. Go to your local networking events, for example, and find out who is any good in your area. Yeah. And then once you go and found those recommendations, meet them. Find out how they operate. Go and see some projects that they've actually done. Ask some of their clients, again, for feedback. Because it's never going minim to minimize all potential risks of them not being very good, but it gets rid of the majority of them. 
And I'm afraid it's just an element of trial and error, really, when it comes to um, starting out and getting a good building team around you. Yeah. Yeah, and I also found that going to builders that are a little bit bigger than you would think was appropriate for yeah. your scheme. So I'm not talking about national builders here, you know, Taylor Wimpy, whatever. But local firms, again, family firms that have been established a long time, they've got several teams and they're maybe doing commercial conversions locally yeah. for investors. Yeah. And they've maybe got internal project management, right? Because yeah. I'm not a project manager. Me neither. And... Um, I want to get to the point where I can give a builder a set of keys and say, I'm be back in 16 weeks, pick yep. up a new set of keys, right? Yep. It's not always like that. Um, so you're saying property network groups um, ask around, what about online resources like Checker Trade, that sort of thing? Have you ever gone that? I haven't personally, but right. definitely worth checking out. Right. But again, please ask for their clients' testimonials. Yeah. If you can go and see the quality of their work, even better. Yes. So just like the first level of, of due diligence is ask for recommendations, go online, but you've got to go on the ground and see what they've done yes. and ask their clients if they are genuinely happy. Yes. So, yeah. So building control. Well, we're mm. still on builders. Okay. I uh, was probably naive at the beginning. Have you spoke to building control boys? Oh, yes, Dave. Everything's <laughs> fine. Have they been Oh, they're here every week, right? And, of course... They hadn't actually put an application in. Yeah, okay. That's how it was. So I got to the stage at the end where I put the application in. Right. And I spoke to the building control. Now, bigger builders won't let you do that because they've got their own favourite mm. private building control. So have you worked with private building control companies or do you work directly with the local authority? Which, what's your favourite way of doing it? So you're in Coventry, you're yep. in the same local authority. Yep. How do you do it? Um, so we work directly with the council. Yeah, so do So I. when it comes to HMO licensing, we know who the HMO officers are yes. and they know us. So we've got yes. a good track record with them. Yes. And we can ask them any questions as and when we have them. Same with building control, vitally important that um, you know who they are. Again, just get the contact details of the website, council website. But I've never gone privately. I've always gone to the council. Well, I've tried uh, both. Okay. Uh, it was very short-lived, my private. Um, <laughs> and just for the benefit of deal packages listening, yeah, very short-lived. I agree with Jamie 100%. You've got to build those relationships with the HMO office and the HMO team, and you get to the stage where they're familiar with your work, and we we get this at Peter and you get it in mm. Coventry, I know. So that if there is an issue, issue if we're 40 as a current project, if we're 40 centimetres short on a room, yeah, because they know who we are and we do it by the book and everything's cool, right, you will get that through on the nod. And you need that relationship to get to that point. Where the last couple of projects I did in Manchester when I was doing, the HMO officer actually said to me, Jamie, on site, that I haven't got any problem with that, David, because I'll tell you the honest truth, there are only three people who produce HMOs in my local authority that I'm happy to work with, and you right. are one of them. Perfect. Yeah. I didn't have the heart to tell him it was going to be my last project. <laughs> to anymore, right? So you need to get to that place. Yeah, right? absolutely. Okay, cool. So builders, very important part of your power team. Now, we've touched a couple of times. I'm going to jump to the end of mm. it because it's what people want to know. You're talking about lifting the equity yep. and the value of the property. Yeah. So commercial valuations at the end. Yes. Investors always ask, will I be able to get all my money out? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Tell me how, how it rolls. I like you. to be completely transparent and realistic. There's no guarantees you're going to get any money out. However, when I'm looking at a project for myself to go and buy, again, I've been doing this for a while in Coventry. 
for ourselves and our clients, we know worst case scenario will probably leave in worst case £20,000 in a project. And that project might be valid anywhere between 250 and £300,000. So it's not a big percentage. However, the beauty about HMOs, and this is why I love buying them too, and this is going to be great for you guys, you deal packages to know this too. When you get a commercial value of a property you want to buy for a package deal, if you go to commercial valuer, and we use, for example, Lovitz up in Coventry, but there are loads of others. When we go and want to buy a property to then package onto a client, we'll pay for the valuation fee. So downside is we're paying for the valuation Interesting. fee. Upside is on that valuation, they will tell you before you've bought it what it will be worth at the end of the project. So I know with 99% accuracy, if I buy, let's just say, a three-bedroom terrace house, or I want to buy it on behalf of a client for, I don't know, £130,000, £140,000, I know what the valuation company will give me as a five-bed professional HMO at the end of the project because it's there in black and white. And it's only happened once whereby the end value hasn't been exactly or higher than what they've told me on that bit of paper before I've bought the thing, either for myself or on behalf of the client. That is fab. What a process that is. And uh, I went through similar pain in Manchester myself, and it took me 18 months to put together for, you know, deal packages listening. Yeah. If you can do this, it helps. There was one commercial broker okay. who worked with one commercial valuer locally. All right. Who would work together with one commercial lender who okay. was lending aggressively, but their rates were quite high, six, six and a half percent over base. Right. Okay. Uh, but they would get the job done and they would lend. And, um, you know, I banged away using that tool over and over again to get clients' money out. Mm. I'm really impressed um, at the amount of money you're leaving in, 20, 30K, whatever, because we're leaving more than that in. Right. I haven't been able to get an investor's money out since 2015. 15. Okay. Uh, I haven't. They've okay. been leaving 20 grand and 30 grand. Now I'm talking 50, 60 grand. Right. On a quarter of a million, 300 pound grand project. And um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I'll, I'll give you my version. We did a lot of work on this last week, mm. actually. Did a lot of research on this. And it appears that if you're in the south of England now, London and the south of England, you are going to get albeit in an HMO, which is a commercial building for finance purposes, and you get a commercial uh, yield-driven valuation in anywhere. Yep. Actually, in the London Southeast, you should seek a bricks-and-mortar valuation because that's higher than the calculation through Interesting. The, the rents. Okay. Um, have, you, have you been involved in this? I, no, I haven't seen that. Okay, so I've seen it because a decent HMO room, really high-quality HMO room, in Manchester, we might get 100 to 120 pound a week. You'll probably get in for a decent one. Um, 650 a month. So, okay. So, yeah, it's yeah, probably yeah. there or thereabouts. Thereabouts. And it's the same within 10 quid. Yeah. In the south of England. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But the cost of entry in the south of England is much higher. Yeah. So, if we value a house in the south of England, this is what was explained to me. This isn't me teaching, mm. it's me being taught. If we go to the south of England and we seek a yield-driven valuation on a five-bid HMO, it's going to come up around the same. I know the multiplier is different, mm. but it's not going to keep pace with the growth in property prices in the south of England. Yep. So a bricks-and-mortar valuation is more beneficial. Yep. Now, in the north of England, Coventry is heading, yep. Yeah. You're probably, on balance in Coventry, going to be better off with a 
rent roll, yield-driven valuation. Yeah. Yeah. In Peterborough, because that's this is my area of concern, mm. we're right on the cusp. Okay. And we're doing one at the moment. Beautiful, big old house, uh, Jamie. Big Edwardian villa, big room, six. It's going to be a six-bed. Okay, nice. All on suite. It is nice. But the bricks and mortar valuation at the end was working out about 375. Okay. And the yield-driven valuation was in the two, the high two. Right. Right. So that's where we are on it. So what to advise people listening to this, the world is changing. Oh, and, and of course, in the current climate, my, in my world, I'm going to ask you about your world, I'm finding value as being a bit more defensive at the moment. Yeah. You know, there's still uncertainty yeah. as to what's Yeah, going the on. market is definitely changing. Yeah. So I think if you can be, this is from a, from a deal packaging point of view, yeah. if you can be completely transparent with your potential investors or existing clients and tell them exactly what's going on, know your local market, tell them what you think could happen, so give them a couple of scenarios. I think if you er- always err on the side of caution, i.e., worst case scenarios and the deal is still a deal for them that's amazing you've got a great client there and you've actually i think gained a huge amount of respect from them because there likely are they're going to come back to you time and time again once that deal works and if it over delivers it does better than you said even better fair okay so i think the guidance you can take from that deal packages out there in property sourcing profit land is we don't know Right, <laughs> depending <laughs> the market changes. Yeah, the market changing. You've got to find out what's going on. So find yourself a great commercial broker who's got access to the lenders you need. So in my world, Jamie, I work with Andy Churchill at Real Property Finance, R E A L. Rob Holmes with an L H A O L M E S are people that I work with. Progressive Property Friends who listen to this. I know you're not all progressive property friends they've got access to these people in our community so talk to them in advance before you go and see your investor i think yeah i absolutely agree okay let's move forward a bit what else can we talk about why don't you tell us because you are a packager you keep it very quiet right but you are selling hmo deals in the round why don't you tell us a little bit about your business your model okay how it's going at the moment what the demand is okay so i'm getting older and i don't want to have a huge list to sell out to a deal potential deal to thousands of people that's not how i like to operate i much prefer this is not right or wrong just how i operate uh, to work with a small number of people keep it nice and intimate because if i know exactly what our clients are looking for now, this might be 10, 12, 14 clients maximum across a year. Then I can find a specific property that they want that hits their income or uh, end goal targets. Yes. I mean, that's, that's gold, what I do. Jamie. That, and that's Is what it? You, and that's what I do. Okay. And that's what I beg <laughs> property sourcing profiteers out to do. Start with the investor first. And actually, you don't even need 14. You need one. You need yeah, two. You, yeah. yeah. In one. case one goes a bit flaky on you, right? You need two, right? And source to order. Yeah, fab. Sorry, yeah, so I'll give you an example. Again, this is not right for everybody. I just like doing this. So I get to know the people who want to work with me and, and likewise. Then I stick to my area because I don't know any other area. So I don't feel confident or uh, transparent to try and pretend I work, work elsewhere. I don't. I go into my key area. Um, the chances are, though, once you've found a client who likes you and vice versa and you go through the process and you get your first deal, they'll come back. I'd much prefer to have a handful yes. of lovely clients who have bought a number of property deals from me yes. than having thousands on a list I don't even know who they are and 
some might buy and some might not. Yes. Nobody ever buys just one deal. If you do the job properly, yeah, exactly. no one buys just one. And then they have friends. Yeah. And, and it's all about trust. Yeah. As I say, you, get, you, you become a trusted part of, of their properties, sort of investing business and journey. And as you say, friends, it's good. So what we do is we literally, we have a flat fee, um, irrespective of what the client wants. There's no percentages here. I like to keep, I'm, I'm a simple soul. I like to keep it simple for me as well. So 10 grand plus VAT, we sell as a sourced uh, deal, package deal for somebody else. But what we also do is we charge 5,000 plus VAT to project manage the refurb. That's it. So 15K plus fat, and I'll buy any three-bedroom terraced or semi-detached house in Coventry when the numbers work and the clients seem to like that. You're cheap, Jamie. Am I cheap? You Great. Work, Prices are going you up. You work cheap. Prices are going up. Too. So I was taught, my mentor, someone taller, younger, more shoutier than me. <laughs> Let's have that. Well, perhaps a bit more okay. gingery. Oh, okay. Anyway, okay. Yes. <laughs> I see. I get it. Told me I was too too cheap, right? And uh, this is the model that we use. Excellent. So we probably finish up in a similar place. But we charge, we justify the fee like this, four months gross rent. Ah. So if it's a five-bedder, if it's a six-bedder, mm-hmm. that number will vary a little bit. So say on a five-bedder, uh, hundred pound a room. Maybe it's two four two four fifty yep. a month gross. Okay, so we charge four times that, which is something under ten grand. Mm-hmm. But obviously, for a, a six bedder, it would be more. Yeah, and then we charge ten percent of the refurb. So if we're going back to brick, starting from scratch, five bed en suites, the refurb usually, you know, how long's a bit of string? It usually comes in about ten eleven grand per room okay including the common room so uh, i've got to count the kitchen as well so yeah five beds plus one 60 grand yeah 65 that's grand. all we pay yeah there you go so we'd probably finish up in the same place but i've tried to justify it to my investors mm. to make that work so okay. um how do you make sure you get paid jamie how ah you- contracts are key yeah contracts are key having deadlines in place uh, that protect you and your client. So we go through the whole know your client piece, uh, the, the the FCA rules and regulations to identify whether they are sophisticated investors uh, or unsophisticated. We go through that piece, so we're covered. We then basically have a contract. We have we have three contracts. One is for sourcing. One's for the project management piece, and one, of course, is lettings if they want us to let to manage their HMO rooms too. Oh wow! So you 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 manage to think you've got a letting agency? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we do that too. Because they're managing our HMOs anyway, so we might as well offer it to other clients. So we have a we have a, a sourcing contract. On that sourcing contract, it has different price points. So once we got to certain stages, uh, for example, we ask for a fee to work together, refundable if we don't find them a deal within three months. It's never happened, but that gives them peace of mind if they're a brand new client. That's interesting. It's not it's not something I do, but that's interesting. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So we do that. Then part of the fee, we also, um, on exchange, we have a fee. And then on completion, we have the remainder of the fee. With the project management, again, we ask for half of it after, uh, up front uh, and half at the end once they've signed off uh, the quality of the work. Do you invoice the client directly or do you do it through the solicitor? Oh, directly. Yeah, we do it directly. Now, that's interesting because... 
We actually send our invoice to the solicitor at the point where, because you know, well know, that mm. we're always targeting a, an exchange and completion. Yeah. And it's usually the same day. Yeah. So we want our fee included on the completion statement oh, like that, that goes out to uh, the client okay. so that I know I'm going to be paid by the solicitor. And the solicitor confirms that. And then they pay you by backs. Yeah, nice. No, who pays oh. by backs anymore? It takes like a week okay. to get your money. <laughs> I don't like paperwork, so I thought one less bit of paperwork. Okay. I quite like that idea. <laughs> well, at least with a solicitor, if they say you've been paid, you, the money's usually going to turn yeah. up. So, so that's how we, we okay, do it. Like but there's no right or wrong with this team out there. It's just evolved over time. So you're packaging a few deals at the moment. Yeah. Um, you've got happy clients. So what are the sort of, I don't know what you work in, James. Do you talk gross yields? Do you talk about ROI, ROCE? How do you, what, if you're pitching to, what sort of returns are you getting for your investor today in Coventry? It's around 20%. Around 20% net. 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 Okay. And again, cool. it all depends on the purchase price, of course, That's and what the refurb is. That is interesting. So it's not bad. Because we're coming up with very similar numbers. Okay. Right? So the entry might be a little bit yeah. higher or lower, I'm not sure. Very similar numbers. Our clients are leaving 50, 60 grand in. Okay. Right. So obviously, in terms of their capital employed in the deal, if you can find 20 on 50, that's uh, – I'm trying to do the arithmetic. My Don't head. ask me. I'm yeah, rubbish at numbers. Something, bet, <laughs> uh, something better than uh, – about grammar school boy in my head, about 35% return on capital. Okay. So, you know, three years, they got all their money out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's really good. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Jamie, I want to talk about – we talked about all the good stuff, right? Mm. Um, threats to the model. Oh, yeah. As we speak at okay. this time. Cool. So I'll talk about some threats, I think, to the HMO market, but also to the deal packaging market, yes, if I may. Yes, please. So the first threats to HMOs are changing the changing market conditions. Potentially, we could be going to a bit of a downturn. Potentially. There's loads of uncertainty. Interest rates are low, but there's uncertainty in the marketplace. So some prices, purchase prices, but also end valuations might be squeezed. And, and we mentioned that already. So be aware of that. And then uh, factor that in when talking to potential deal packaging clients. So at least they're aware of it. Other risks, everyone talks about oversaturation. I think it's a complete red flag. I think it's, it's irrelevant. I, I think if your rooms are crappy like everybody else's, yep. then you're obviously, you, it, it's a race to the bottom. You're talking about trying to rent out rooms and it, it's like a commodity. Yep. I, the cheaper the rooms get filled fast. But if you provide better quality and doesn't have to cost much more, then your rooms get filled quicker and yes. faster. Yes. So I completely get rid of the whole saturation uh, thing. Regulations, there aren't any more regulations coming because HMOs are the most regulated property investing strategy at the moment. But I think everybody else, every other strategy will be regulated. So I don't think that's really a risk. I mean, there's one regulation really, really, I cannot get my head around, Jamie, and that is uh, window restrictors on the first floor. (laughs) Right. So you can have a single let tenant. Yep. Right. And if any one of their family plunges to their death from the first floor window. Nobody cares, yes. right? But in the HMO, they're not allowed to. Yeah. What's happening? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, the, the rules and regs for fire safety, tenant safety in my HMOs are exactly the same uh, requirements I put into my single lets now. Oh, I don't Window want restrictors? Everything. I want to sleep at night. I want to make sure that people who are renting out my rooms are happy or houses are happy. And I just think it's going to come in at some stage in the future. I'll get the wisdom of that. I understand completely. But um, what else? I think one of the the most important things I'd recommend everybody listening to this does, 
especially for deal packaging, is you're dealing with clients. You're providing a service. So be as transparent as you possibly can be upfront. Tell them if you don't know something that you don't know and you'll find out the answer. Make sure everything's written down and communicate really well with clients. Yes. Because stuff changes. Communication is absolutely the key. And don't hide from it if you're a bit embarrassed to say, oh, it's going to cost them another 500 quid because I didn't know you had to do this now. It's new. You just got to tell them. Yeah. Got to tell them. Tell them up front. Don't yeah. hide. I, th- I fully agree. Yeah. If you over-communicate, that's really good customer service. People are going to like you. They're going to hopefully like the result that you can give them, and they're going to come back and, and, and pay Fab. more. Fab. And uh, before we close, because we're coming to the end, and this flown by. Thank it you. has. Thank you, been fun. It's just been a chat. Thanks for having me. I've got to talk to you about council tax. Oh, yeah. It's a big topic in the HMO community. Yeah at the moment what are your views on it uh council tax being extended to individual rooms technically the individual tenants should pay but are they going to pay if you put it in an ast will that work well tell me jamie okay how do, how do I manage so here's it? my take the, the the key thing is in anything the market changes irrespective of the strategy so know what the changes are and how they could affect you so the valuations office a, a voa um in some councils, they're charging council tax by the room. Yeah. And it comes back to, in many cases, is that room a sh- in a shared house or is it a one-bedroom flat? So if you come back right to the beginning of this podcast where we talked about having shared common facilities, if you've got uh, someone to wash and clean and cook in that room, then you could argue, quite rightly, that's not a shared house anymore. That is a one-bedroom flat. Mm. So... We don't have the VOA charging council tax in our areas that we operate, but I'm hearing a few other councils are, have, have actually brought this in. For sure. So one of the quickest things you can do, go and find out from the local VOA how they value, uh, from a council tax point of view, any potential houses in your area, including HMOs. Secondly, if it is uh, to do with shared facilities, make sure you have them. Don't not have them. And the third thing is, if it does come into play, it's going to happen across the whole of the market. It's not just a, an HMO um, issue. It'll affect all property investing. So if you are competing with other HMO operators and your council, for whatever reason, bring in council tax per the room, that's going to affect the whole market, not just you. So, of course, um, you've got to factor that into your pricing. Yes. And if you're packaging team, you're out there sourcing it for your investor, you have to, have to, have to cover this off in advance with your investor up front. So Jamie's absolutely right. There are many areas in the country today where if you've got an ensuite room but shared kitchen somewhere else in the house, then uh, you're safe. But I know that there are authorities where even that footprint, yes, uh, the VOA is coming in and charging the rooms individually. A very good friend of mine and yours have just got a 12 grand bill ah, for council tax. Not great. That. Not great. He he wasn't happy, and he's usually a jolly little Irish chap. Um, <laughs> and he's trying to sort that out now. Um, I have seen, because I'm working with pa- mm. packages nationally, where you've got a footprint of a shared kitchen on each floor. That sometimes happens. Local authorities have jumped onto that and have imposed individual council tax bills per room. In Reading, I am told yes. that if you've got just an internal key on an individual bedroom, that counts as a fundamental change, which is what the legislation references. What is a fundamental change mm. to the house in Reading? Because you can have a fundamental change, whatever the definition of that is, but at the bottom, the regulation gives the local VOA officer complete discretion to make their own decision. And that's why there's no fixed rules here and why we're sort yeah. of 
blundering around in yeah. the Yeah, again, the, the key is to check with your local council, find out from the local area, find out what other property professionals are doing locally. And whatever happens from a deal packaging point of view, when you're selling a potential deal to somebody else, factor those into the actual numbers. Make sure your end goal, your, your, sorry, your client at the end knows that if they're to buy this package from you, that their net income, if that's one of the key metrics they're looking at, Absolutely. How, how much profit they're going to make, Absolutely. make sure that's factored in there. Would you attempt to put in the AST for the tenants a condition that should the worst happen, they, they are liable for the council tax, and would that stand up in any event? Uh, well, we're not in that situation yet, so I don't know. Okay. Um, we Again, we don't have uh, council tax by the room in either Bedford or Coventry where I operate. So as a, if oh. it does happen, then we'll, I get it. we'll, we'll I get do it. something. We'll, we'll act accordingly. It's an unfolding thing. and we, The answers will become apparent in due course. Jamie, this has been great. Good. I mean, we've Thanks only touched the surface. You know, it's flown past. I'm so grateful to have your expertise and your time and your company for this episode. Likewise. Um, let's do it again sometime. Maybe we can move on to other parts of sourcing, HMOs, HMOs generally, all of that sort of thing. Love to help if I can. Team, if you've got any queries about this, message me, contact me. I will help you. In the meantime, a huge thank you to the wonderful Jamie Medill, my go-to guru go. in HMOs Thank now. Uh, it's all changed, Jamie, in the last 35 minutes. Uh, absolutely. And if you're out there in property sourcing land, get out there. We're going to sell all of them. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode. <laughs>